I have a confession to make. For years, I would hear about people holding up signs that said, John 3.16 at football games on TV. Or I would see the scripture citation on bumper stickers or on billboards along the highway. But I never actually knew the text of the passage. In the 1980s, I did know enough to equate the people behind those signs with the conservative evangelical movement. So I figured the text had something to do with burning in hell. (laughs) I went by this assumption for years, not bothering to look up the passage. When I finally did read it, I was surprised. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. It wasn't about damnation. It was actually a succinct summation of the Christian faith. Those sign holders were publicly witnessing to their belief in Jesus Christ as loving Savior of the world. Of course, most were also evangelizing, urging others to convert to their belief that Christ was the only path to salvation. The text itself seems to support that conclusion. Everyone who believes in him may not perish. John 3.16 is one of the comfortable words offered by a priest after confession and absolution in our Rite 1 liturgy at 8 a.m. Funny then that today's gospel passage makes some Christians uncomfortable. How many of us would presume to tell our Jewish, Buddhist, or atheist friends that they must accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior in order to have eternal life? Moreover, who among us wants to be associated with the fervency of Christians who would hold up signs and publicly proclaim their faith? We're Episcopalians. (laughs) We're probably a little more at ease with reciting that first part of the verse alone, quietly, amongst ourselves. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Period. Case closed. Today's reading also features the verse that became a launching pad for the born-again Christian movement. No one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. Our translation says, without being born from above. And both are, are technically correct. The Greek word anothen can mean either born again or born from above. But either way, it denotes a renewal of some sort. We mainline Protestants locate this spiritual rebirth in our baptism, being born of water and the Spirit. In any case, John the Gospel writer has Jesus use this word deliberately, anathem, setting up a double meaning that has poor Nicodemus thinking he has to crawl back into his mother's womb in order to be saved. Jesus is speaking of a spiritual rebirth, but Nicodemus takes him literally. John uses such double messages with some frequency to illustrate the gap that exists between the spiritual meaning in the words of Jesus and the literal meaning that those around him mistakenly hear all the time. Although Christian denominations have been inspired by this passage in various ways, its underlying message is actually pretty simple. God loved us enough to send his son with an invitation to renew our relationship with God. Not to condemn the world, but to save it. And how do we respond to this invitation? Well, perhaps one path lies in the example of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a pillar of his community, an educated and prosperous Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin assembly. 
He knows Jesus is special because he's seen him perform signs that could only come from God. And yet, he travels in secret by night to meet him. Nicodemus longs for a deeper connection with God, but he won't commit to following Jesus any more than a private night interview will allow. He's also afraid of being discovered by his Sanhedrin buddies who would not approve of this meeting. And when Jesus does offer him spiritual wisdom, Nicodemus, he can only use his rational mind to interpret what he says literally. How can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? And I wonder how many of us have been like Nicodemus at some point on our faith journey. We are, in a way, pillars of our community. We have the respect of those who know us and esteem we have gained through our prosperity, our success, our self-confidence, or our intelligence. Like Nicodemus, we are also spiritually open and curious, while remaining rational, of course. And we have faith in Jesus, We are Christians. We are believers. Yet our faith sometimes is a sort of a private matter, a thing we keep apart from the rest of our lives. In that sense, we only meet Jesus in secret, at times when we don't have to proclaim our faith to everyone around us. It may also be that we rely on our rational mind to interpret Christ's message, so as a result, we cannot accept what we don't understand. Like Nicodemus, we are left saying, how can these things be? For him, for Nicodemus, it was fear of reprisal from his friends that made him secretive about his longing to know Jesus. For us, it might be something closer to uncertainty in our faith. Or maybe an unwillingness to let go of our own will and let God do the steering. I struggle with the Gospel of John for this very reason. The Jesus in John's gospel is so very divine, the logos, the word present from the beginning, something outside our comprehension. In today's passage, Jesus tells us by way of Nicodemus that our mundane vision is inadequate for the profound otherworldly truth of the kingdom of God and of Christ's salvation. He says we need a vision that comes of being born from above. And being born from above means nothing less than releasing our grip on the world below, our self-will, and letting ourselves be transformed. But you know, there's no control in that. Surrendering our lives to God means we don't get to do what we want anymore. And the trust required of us is just too difficult. Well, maybe we can find hope in the story of Nicodemus. He appears twice more in John's Gospel. In chapter 7, at a meeting of the Pharisees who want to arrest Jesus, Nicodemus, he takes a tentative stand on Jesus' behalf, suggesting, you know, maybe, maybe we shouldn't arrest him without first giving a proper hearing. The others quickly rebuff him, and he shuts up. Again, I wonder how many of us have been in situations where we had to defend our Christian faith to others, or speak of it, but maybe found ourselves inadequate to the task. We feel an internal longing for God that we can't always explain to ourselves, much less express to others. But that longing for God's love breaks forth anyway, though we cannot sufficiently explain or justify it. John says nothing more about the spiritual development of Nicodemus until, amazingly, he shows up one more time in chapter 19. This time, Nicodemus does not come to Jesus in the middle of the night, 
nor does he feebly defend him to others. Instead, in broad daylight, he helps Joseph of Arimathea take the body of Jesus down from the cross. Regardless of what his Pharisee friends will say or do to him, Nicodemus brings 100 pounds of myrrh, aloes, and other spices and gives Jesus a royal burial. Somehow he overcame his tentativeness and his fear, and he showed up for Jesus in this crucial moment. Nicodemus reminds us that even the best educated and most authoritative among us are still searching. And the trajectory of his faith is one that we might hope to follow, from darkness, secretiveness, and night, through tentativeness, and into the light of day. I do wish John's Gospel had laid out that path a little more concretely for us. Still, the example of Nicodemus encourages us to take action in the light of day. If we can't explain our faith to others, maybe we can simply live out that faith in ways that words cannot express. Apart from any rational explanations, we honor Christ whenever we help someone in their time of need, in their moment on the cross. I have struggled with John's Gospel because it presents to us a divine Christ who can seem hard to access. But John also offers us a few glimpses of a very human and incarnate Jesus in his Gospel. Only in John does Jesus weep for Lazarus. Only in John does he wash the feet of his disciples with humility. And only in this Gospel does Jesus cry out in thirst from the cross. God sent his Son to us to be like us and to share in our humanity. If we cannot find the faith in ourselves to fully embrace the divine nature of Christ and to show forth that faith to everyone around us, then maybe Jesus will just meet us halfway and help us make up that difference. May it be so. Amen.